Welcome to Business Unmuted, a business discussion programme in the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Moulton or York. Some data from this week, the CBI is reporting that optimism among British manufacturers has fallen as its fastest pace since the start of the Covid crisis. However, new orders are still rising, just more slowly as prices increase. New orders grew by 22% compared to 38% in the previous three months. The government has borrowed $151 in the year to March. However, it has also taken the highest cash number in tax at $718 billion for last year. And with inflation digging into our pockets, could increased competition help drive down inflation? Morrisons and Asda are reducing hundreds of items by 10% or more. What can other sectors do without sacrificing the bottom line? My guests today to talk about all manner of things in business in the north of England are Chris Pearson, partner at the property consultancy Nailers Gavin Black, Darren Winter, managing director of Duco Digital, and who runs the Redcar and Cleveland Business Network. And joining us down the line is John Pearce, CEO of Made in Britain, which represents the British manufacturing community. Let's start with you, Darren. Thank you for coming in. Great to see someone from Redcar here. Thanks, Graham. Are you uh, in the network generally optimistic or pessimistic? Is all this doom and gloom in the papers and the news getting you down? I think it's easy to, to, to feel that it's, it's very negative at the moment because that's all the, the media headlines are kind of focused about. Um, it is really difficult for small businesses out there. I'm a small business myself um, and it is tough. Um, and I think we have got some massive challenges that you already alluded to, um, inflation being one of them. Um, but we're still feeling the effects of like Brexit or supply chain problems for small businesses. Um, and certainly like with um, increases in prices like for raw materials um, and labour shortages as well. Um, the energy prices and some of the geopolitical problems that we're experiencing um, are also added pressures as well on top of everything that come from COVID. So it is a really challenging time at the moment. Um, but I think like we were talking just off air just now, there is some real optimism that independents are fighting back mm -hmm. as we're seeing like larger names like retreating from the high streets for lots of different problems and um, then the independents are slowly taking over they're finding a niche in the market um, and there was some really uh, fantastic efforts last year um, particularly from consumers going back up the high street in the summer um, and then obviously that's going to help me hopefully we're looking to those consumers to be coming out in the good weather again um, for eating out al fresco style once we get our summer season here and hopefully that's going to sort of keep independence healthy. Now in Redcar and Cleveland uh, you're on the east coast and you're uh, a typical area of the north of England that represents the levelling up areas because you're not a big city, Yeah. Uh, you've been on the coast, uh, you've got industrial uh, re regeneration going on because yeah. I'm on the board at the development corporation that's regenerating part of Redcar and you've got high streets that are applying for and getting townsman money and so on. Yeah. So is some of this stuff filtering through yet or is it still too premature? I think some of it's still filtering through. I'm, I'm chair of the Redcar Town deal um, myself um, and it's we're still working on some of the much larger scale projects. You know, they, they, they're, they're, we've got 25 million pounds to spend in Redcar from government. Um, but those projects don't just appear overnight. There's lots of different processes that have to go through. There's lots of consultations that have to happen. Um, but generally the, the news is good. Um, and also that there is, uh, I think that kind of 
filters through into the optimism that helps people plan if they're opening the business, if they're trying to recruit, um, trying to plan the business for the rest of the year in terms of activities, what they're going to be doing, then that it, it can help them to think well, actually, well, I might need to take a staff member on because in the next 12 to 18 months, we can see a forecast. And obviously, all the things that need maybe constructing or building, that's also extra activity into the, the, into the business side. So in terms for these buildings to be constructed, we need to have workers come here, they need to be building things, they need to be somewhere to stay, they need somewhere to eat. Um, we're going to be attracting people to maybe move into the area. Um, so again, this is all great stuff, but it just takes a little bit of time just to filter through. Quick anecdote, uh, I have a member of my team, one of the more highly paid members of my team who lives in Redcar, and he was trying to find a new house in Redcar, and he had a lot of money to spend, Yeah, and um, he kept getting gazumped. Re uh, well, it's really difficult. It's uh, uh, it is yeah. an extraordinary thing to say in Redcar that yeah. you get gazumped. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really the, the house market is really buoyant at the moment. Um, we've seen a lot of areas. I, mean, I live in Red East myself, um, and where there's been, you know, traditionally maybe in the last couple of years, a lot of like houses have been on the market for a while. Now it's pretty much they're on and then they're sold within one or two days. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that's really a good like benchmark to look at in terms of like demand for housing. Um, and it is becoming, I think there's one thing about the COVID um, pandemic, you know, people have reviewed their life and kind of like their lifestyles. Um, and it's great for us because we, we you know, we're right on the, the coastline. We've got beautiful coastline. We have got a, a really um, fantastic um, town for independence as well. We're close to Saltburn. We're close to the North Yorkshire Moor. So we've got a lot to be proud about, a lot to shout about. So yeah, we can see that as one of the great things that's definitely happening. So that it's a good, it's a good uh, key indicator for how it things should is. come. Ahead. Well, it's a great segue as Thank well you. as we go into our next guest. Yeah. Now, uh, Chris, you're for Nailers Gavin Black. Now, you deal with commercial property rather than yeah. housing, but nevertheless, uh, some of these indicators on commercial property, uh, the, the, some of them are counterintuitive. You look at what William Rees Mogg. There's a, a note out flash on screen. He went round government offices uh, last week, finding out how many people were staying at home still and yeah. wanting to encourage them back, and subtly saying, "Sorry, I was here. You you weren't here when I came." And then if I look at the Sun newspaper, a quote from the Sun newspaper, the SFO, which is the Serious Fraud Office, uh, has an office near Trafalgar Square and 500 staff. It costs around, said the Sun, quarter of a million year in rent. Mr Rees-Mogg was stunned to see lots of empty desks. He renewed the lease, but only for three months. Officials have been told to come up with a plan to move. <laughs> so actually, that's the real bite in London yeah. on work from home. What's the situation here in the northeast and Yorkshire? I think it's it depends a lot on the type of business. A lot of the larger occupiers and the public sector organisers organisations are still a lot working from home, but businesses are talking about hybrid working. So everybody is they're they're planning to be part of the week uh, in the office and part at home. But I think there is a real drive from the business sector to get employees to come back mm -hmm. and uh, companies if they have a lease event or a reorganizing their business are tending to look for better quality space with more amenities but perhaps slightly less space yeah so but there, but there is, uh, but there is a drive i think if you look over the last six months if you go around buildings uh, from that in that time frame there's been a lot more people coming back to the office certainly true we live on a, uh, we live we work in this office is on a business park in Darlington yeah. a relatively modern business park obviously you've come today yeah. you've seen it and there is 
Uh, there are 12 units of around 3,000 square feet, very modern. Uh, the beginning of last year, about half were empty. Yeah. Now there's only one left. Yeah. Uh, and as, as I own one of the units, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, about yeah. That, by the way, yeah. there we are. Um, what about the the city centres? We've got Newcastle and Leeds, the big cities yeah. in this area. Um, what's the take up there? We've got HMRC in Newcastle moving in. We've yeah. got the National Infrastructure Bank, Channel Four, and so on in Leeds. There are some big headlines, aren't there? Yeah, I think the market is very busy. There's a lot going on. Um, the take-up statistics were, was actually more resilient than you would think over the pandemic for office space. Um, but the last quarter uh, of last year was a record, but that was, of course, included in the HMRC deal. But I do think um, there is a lot more activity. Mm. People are, which is, which is perhaps odd, given everything that's going on and the difficulties in the world. But people... There is, there is more activity. And what about the type of uh, resolution to deals? Are they all are they all easy you know, easy out, or have you got long term leases? What what's the I feeling? think the cost of fitting out and moving and and all the rest of it, depending on the lease term, is a factor and how many employees you've got. Um, uh, I think that the trend is towards slightly less space, um, but lease terms and also have got more flexible, but shorter leases very quick. Uh, turnaround that is all the serviced offices are fairly very busy but I, I still think there is the desire to, to acquire space on a more three to five year lease basis. Yeah, to settle down. And, but and it's not as long term as it perhaps was in the past. And what about things like um, the, the modern uh, uh, desirables in space that maybe older buildings don't have? For instance, I've had to put car charging points yeah. outside. I am very concerned in, as owning this building, very pleased that it's a modern building and therefore relatively well insulated. It's, it's, yeah. it's energy efficient. Uh, are those things now counting as premium as yes. much as may air, maybe yeah. it used to be air conditioning? Now it's about efficiency. No, I think I think for an occupier, they're trying to persuade their staff to move back into the building. Mm. They want to encourage and, and recruit and, and retain staff. So the, uh, companies are looking for better quality space. Um, they're looking for a more, more amenities. So it's got to have showers. It's got to have bike racks. Electrical charging point is a question that people always ask about because more of their staff have electrical vehicles. So it is not about the price, it's more about the quality. So landlords, if they get space back to let, actually could be are in for more of a shock than they think. It's not just a question of, oh, it's we just find a new tenant. Actually, they're going to have to invest in the property as well. One more question, because we're going to go to Made in Britain in a minute, completely different subject. but. What about the, uh, if we look at the market, we talked about offices a lot there. Yeah. Uh, what about sheds? What about light industrial, heavy industrial? The northeast, very important heavy industrial. Yeah. Sheds are up and down these motorway sections now. The, yeah, the, the, um, from our point of view, um, the market has, has been fantastic. Um, uh, we've, we've, we've let and sold and bought a lot of sheds, but our stock levels are right down. Mm. There isn't the supply, there isn't the choice available. Rents have gone up. Um, uh, investors are very keen on the industrial sector, but that market has, is going to take a bit of time to uh, adjust to the demand and provide more supply. And where there is oversupply is in some of these provincial towns on shops, aren't there? That is where there is a Shops, difficulty. yes, but if you have 
good pedestrian, a good pedestrian street, a good proposition, then I think smaller shops are starting to come back. I went to the Bishop Auckland Festival of Food yeah. at the weekend. And there are a couple of uh, streets around where the Festival of Food was, with the Spanish Gallery there, and yeah. the new tower, and the opening, the refurbished Town Hall, where there's quite a few independent traders, gift shops, coffee shops, and it didn't feel like one was in the heart of traditional Bishop Auckland. There felt like a sense of renewal. I think there's new, there's new repurposing of the city, of the towns and cities. Uh, different types of occupiers, different types of uses are coming back in. It's not the same you're not going to get if you if you lose a national you're not you're not going to replace them with a similar operator you've got to be you've got to think about different uses mm. and councils have to perhaps think about CPO and, and what they and what they do with the whole area and the mm. street and what the, a, a street is like a shopping centre and they have to look at mm. how, what they offer in the town centre to make sure it's fit for purpose maybe Darren could pick up on this later when we get to a bit more of a round robin right let's get to Made in Britain thank you for listening so attentively John Pierce, you're the CEO of Made in Britain uh, let's tell you what let, it, it seems like it, what it does is what's on the tin but who owns it how does it run what's its purpose well, our members own us. Uh, yeah, we're owned by our members. Our members are 1,800 plus uh, manufacturing businesses in this country. We're very proudly independent. Um, and our purpose is to help them to sell more of what they make. I mean, it's a very simple objective. Um, it's taking time to find all of the manufacturers, but that is the objective. We want to try and unite all of the manufacturing communities around the country, around uh, the UK. And we want them all to join in with this effort to, to shout about how brilliant British products are and how local they are. Because this is the other question we were talking about, price and quality. Uh, one of your, pre your previous uh, guests mentioned you know, price and quality, that is absolutely important to, to Made in Britain products. It's not enough that they're just made here. They've got to be uh, fit for purpose. They've got to be the right price. They've got to have uh, longevity, durability, and, and they've got to be made by a responsible maker. And what we do as an organization is try and put all of that information into one place, a website, a database, um, and people can search for uh, any product that they want and they can search for the business that's making that product. And we like to think that's a, a useful service for absolutely everyone. And we bring it all together with the Made in Britain mark, which uh, you can see hopefully on the yeah, screen. We can. Um, you can see clearly. You know, this is what our members are identifying their product with, but they're also choosing to identify their business as a Made in Britain member because they think it, it means something about the future of British manufacturing, which it definitely does. We've got lots of manufacturers in the Northeast and Yorkshire, famous, famous names and so on. I picked one that's been on this program before, uh, EBAC, that make washing machines. They're British made washing machines. They're the only washing machines made in Britain. The only washing machines made in Britain. Now, if you spend 400 quid on a new washing machine, um, first of all, if it's not made in Britain, there's going to be a carriage environmental footprint for it, isn't there? It's going to have been shipped from somewhere far east or Italy or somewhere. Uh, and then the other thing, of course, is making it in Britain creates jobs and wealth. And um, the other thing is, where can you buy it? And eBay, you buy it online. I know, I work with eBay, I know, know this firm, so I, but listening to them and looking at what they do, They've, they've got problems that they know about, which they've aired, which are things like components. They want more mm. component supply chain to be in Britain. They want to not just assemble, but make it. Mm. And they also um, have to deliver it online and themselves, and they've got a really good system. But getting it into big outlets, retail outlets, the big, big businesses are dominating those retail mm. outlets. So how do, you, how do you shout and get, get your fair share of floor space? 
Well, first things first, uh, EBAC aren't alone in being, you know, part of a, 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 you know, a very big sector, but being perhaps, you know, a, a only one of a handful of businesses that are actually making in that sector in this country, because, you know, like it or not, uh, the past sort of 30 years or so has seen some manufacturing go overseas. Uh, you know, typically people will assume that anything that's small and light uh, and made of plastic will have been made overseas, but lots of other things are still made overseas. And we have in some sectors we are we are thin on the ground let's say mm. uh, made in britain covers 60 product sectors so we've got somebody making everything pretty much um another interesting detail of the organization uh, and the database that we hold on all of our members is, is that roughly half of them are making uh, retail products like a washing machine or or a van a, a vivaro van for example that carries the made in britain uh, mark but then the other half are making um, trade or industrial products and yeah. this is where it really gets interesting in putting all of the manufacturers in one place because of course they are creating their own supply chain system uh, because they all need each other for everything they don't just need each other for trade components and parts but they also need to let each other know that you can buy a van for example if you need a van for your business you can buy a made in britain van from made in britain member Vauxhall uh, and this is all building the sort of manufacturing ecosystem if you like in this country and that of course is a is a an ecosystem that is very definitely closer to where the products are, are being bought and it's also a support system so you know we are mainly a, ma a manufacturing marketing organization helping those members to give out the right message about British manufacturing right now as it is. You know, there are some uncomfortable truths, um, but we're not hiding from those. We're identifying all of the products that are made uh, with the mark and the businesses that are trying to, to grow the manufacturing sectors uh, across this country. Now, I think that's a, a by the way, three cheers to you. Not, I, I always say, so when someone's inward investing and they come and build a branch here that makes something here, two cheers, we like that, but the money tends to go abroad. We like Nissan, but some of the money goes abroad. But if it's made in Britain, like the EBAT washing machine, three cheers to it. Um, what do you think about this? Uh, in the North Sea, there's gonna be a, the biggest wind farm ever in the world, it's at the Dogger Bank. And um, our firm was involved in this as well. We, we, we were saying to the government on behalf of uh, manufacturers in the northeast of England, look, this wind farm is on Crown Seabed. The government effectively owns it on behalf of the people. And you're going to license operators to operate this wind farm. Insist that 60% of the content is made in Britain because you've got the power to do so. And they mm. agreed the government have done that. And as a result, on the banks of the River Tees, there's some major inward investment where uh, component manufacturers, whether it be the big uh, towers that the wind farm, uh, the windmills sit on, or the, the blades for the turbines, are going to be made in Britain and then shipped out to sea and then serviced. Mm. Um, but that was only possible because the government intervened, not by way of subsidy or control, but by way of guidance and license and regulation. It's all about target setting. You know, we do speak to government fairly frequently. We speak to Cabinet Office, Department of International Trade, because seven out of ten of our members are exporting. So it's a big part of, of being a member, member of Made in Britain. Um, but we do advise anyone who'll listen that, you know, there needs to be targets. And, um, you know, it, we all saw this during the PPE crisis. You know, suddenly we were all asking, where on earth is this PPE coming from? And at the time of the before the pandemic, and very little of it was coming from this country. And now I think the the estimate is is, is that close to 50% of the PPE that is made and, and required for this country is, is made here, or certainly much closer to here. Um, and I think that has told us something. It's it's taught us all a lesson about asking the critical question: where are the things coming from that we need, and uh, who's making them? 
And if need be, you know, where are the materials coming from to make the things that we need mm. to make here? You know, these are all critical questions that Made in Britain is trying to help as many parties as possible understand, you know, the, the current reality, if you like. We are mainly an SME uh, group. About 95% of our members are sort of, by definition, SME businesses. But we do have some very big businesses in, 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 uh, in membership. And they, again, would, would, would support this message that government should be setting ever increasing targets for making things closer to where they're needed. And if that's in the northeast, then it should be manufacturers in the northeast, mm. because then, the, you know, the carbon footprint is less. Uh, and, and we know that that's that's a measurable impact on the environment and, and climate change. So I, I, I think the message is generally heading in the right direction, but can always do more. And the last question about is about these trade negotiations, free trade negotiations, trade deals. There's several of them off the off the rack now. There's one with Australia and New Zealand. There's a, a specific one with Singapore. And then the, last week, the Prime Minister was in India, and there's going to be one with India uh, this year, we expect, according to the targets that the Indian Prime Minister and Boris Johnson set. Now, that's a very big market, India, of course. Very That would be a, quite a good trade deal. Are these trade deals uh, very important? Are they going to help the Made in Britain mark and the Made in Britain campaign? Um, they should do. <laughs> they should do. They're very complicated. And they, of course, they involve a lot more. Uh, in most cases, they're far more focused on services than they are on products. You know, and, and, and they do uh, often involve food, uh, food groups, which mm. that is not an, a, a vital part of Made in Britain uh, membership. I would say on the trade deals, you know, the input that we can give uh, to government is as much as they will listen to us on what you know, manufacturers need out of these trade deals. But with the number of deals being struck around the world, uh, I mean, we're very close to them. We're members of the CBI and we're, we're very close to the discussions or as close as you can get to them. Uh, but I think the net impact of the trade deal on manufacturing, I think that's that's for the economists to try and work on, not me. Right. I would always want them to to favour made in Britain uh, products and manufacturing. But, um, you know, sadly, sadly, I feel there may be other priorities somewhere down the line. I think, generally speaking, the direction of travel is good at the Department of, of Trade. They clearly want uh, exporters to increase, and that is definitely an area where Made in Britain members can, can step up to the plate because, as I was saying, 70% of our members are exporting already. It's easier to convince a business to export more than it is for, to convince them to export for the first time. Well, John, I'm going to leave you there. Thank you for that. Let our couple of guests round up. Just wait there, John. What did you make of that Made in Britain bit? Because the other bit of it is import substitution. It's about us buying British, not necessarily all exporting. Yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm glad that John's picked up on the DIT side because you know myself as a business, local business, um, we've done a lot of work with DIT and um, working overseas, particularly in Southeast Asia. And we know from our own research, not that we've associated with food, but um, some of the clients that we work with, we know there's a demand for cheese and alcohol in South mm. America, um, two like two products that the Northeast definitely do very very well. I think that we were talking off air, and to answer your question, that. I think there definitely needs to be more work uh, between the, you know, the supermarkets and the and the major chains about helping small businesses and micro businesses get their products and services into the chains and for the general public to see them. Mm -hmm. um, because we say that there's not sometimes not much uh, difference in the cost between buying, you know, uh, maybe something overseas or even just highly branded products compared to like locally made products. Mm. Um, that way we can really be helping small businesses um, and, you know, helping create jobs and helping make those small businesses into much larger businesses and much more commercial businesses. 
Um, but to do that, we need to have visibility and give them a chance. And I think the problem with, you know, in my own opinion, professional opinion, that it's just very difficult. Those routes are very hard. Or talking to somebody um, uh, literally last week and they had a baby food product um, and they're working with one of the large multiples. And very often it can be, you know, two or three no's. It can be like just endless emails and phone calls uh, with no returns or just empty promises. And they just need to be much more work. But there's so much potential. And I think also that will actually give some of the multiples more of an edge. You know, mm. so we're talking about them standing out. That we, you know, heard a lot about the supermarkets like it's really struggling against people like Aldi and Lidl. So it's like they need to have a more competitive edge. But if they work with you know, the Made in Britain members or with smaller retailers and micro businesses, that's what's going to give them that edge because they'll have something unique to sell. And of course, if they get their, their supermarket deal with Tesco or Aldi or whoever, they'll need to scale up and they'll need factory space and so on. And that yep. that can be delivered, but increasingly there's a time frame for yep. it. Yeah, it, it could take longer, but um, they might have different locations to look at. Absolutely. Uh, well, look, John, thank you very much, Chris, and also, uh, also Darren. Thank you for joining us on Business Unmuted this week. We'll be back same time next week. Join us then if you want to join us on the programme as a guest. Send us an email via LinkedIn and we'll consider what you've got to say. Thank you.